I spoke to Matthew Galloway around two weeks ago now, actually. Um, Matthew Galloway is the artist behind the Freedom of the Migrant, which is currently showing at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery on that first floor level. It's showing out of the DPEG, so you can actually see it when you're on the street. It's near the windows at the very front of the building. Um, this is a very interesting exhibit. It may be difficult when you hear this interview to envision what this exhibit looks like. So my advice would be to listen, you know, take it all with a grain of salt and then go and see for yourself afterwards the concepts that we've been talking about. This work is quite minimalist as well, um, so it can be quite difficult if you don't engage straight away with works that aren't really out there and in your face. Um, like the exhibit that is right next door, and in fact the freedom, of, the freedom of the migrant bleeds into another exhibit called Not Neutral, which is um, the archive of the Wellington Media Collective, who I talked to about a month ago now. Um, but that is very in your face. All of the information is really spoon-fed to you because it's in a poster format. It was in a public area. You know that was the nature of the work. Um, but both works are from a graphic design standpoint. Matthew Galloway is a graphic designer working in Dunedin. Um, unfortunately, you you don't know Matthew Galloway's work, do you, Dad? No, I don't. Um, yeah, that's really unfortunate, but maybe we'll go and have a look at that a wee bit later. Anyway, I highly recommend that you go and check it out. Just another warning, this is quite a long interview. I have long interviews on the DPAG Late Breakfast because... It can be really difficult to get a lot of information about a work out of an artist in 15 minutes. Artists love to talk. They love to talk about their work, um, and I love to listen to what they have to say. Uh, but often, almost everything they talk about is important, uh, so it can be really hard to whittle these interviews down to just a wee soundbite. It's different to if we have a, a little show coming through Dunedin where we can just give them a 10-minute interview and it's, you know, it's done, it's over. These, these artists have a lot more to their work um, and they work for really long periods of time on these exhibits as well. Uh, so this is Matt's first major exhibit um, in the Dunedin Public Art Gallery. He has exhibited in Christchurch before. Um, he's from Christchurch originally and also in the Blue Oyster Art Project space a couple of years ago. Um, so I will warn you, this interview is 35 minutes long. If you are listening and it's not quite your thing, not quite your speed, maybe just flick to flavour for a second. <laughs> Have some beats somewhere else and then come back to your regular programming. Um, this is, of course, the Arts and Culture Show, though, so <laughs> you just have to expect it at this point. Just Alison, today we have an architect just going on about <laughs> <Stuff>. triangulation and <laughs> all of the fun art artsy things. Um, so, yeah, just bear that in mind. If it's not your cup of tea, then I apologise, but it's the DPEG Late Breakfast. I do art things. That's what you got to expect. All right, this is me talking to Matthew Galloway about the freedom of the migrant um, early a couple of weeks ago. Hope you enjoy. Um, so today I'm talking to Matthew Galloway. Of course, the Freedom of the Migrant now open on the first floor of the DPAG, and that is running until the 12th of August this year. How has that been received so far, Matthew? Um, good, I think. I, th I think that the weird thing about exhibitions is you don't get that immediate kind of like outpouring of response in the way that, I don't know, maybe a band would in front of a crowd. Yeah. You, you spend all this time um, putting a show together, uh, lots of energy goes into that process, um, and then suddenly it's just out in the world and it kind of just sits there. 
<laughs> for a long and, time as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and a lot of people kind of yeah have been asking, oh, how's the, the exhibition going? And I kind of say, well, it's just going, I guess. It's just it's sitting there. Have but, you um, been watching the stack of publications slowly go down? Yeah, in their yeah. Level? I, I think that's actually quite a nice little gauge for mm -hmm. the fact that people are seeing it. And um, for me, I definitely get a kick out of the idea that um, that newspaper is slowly kind of getting distributed out. And, yeah. Um, Mm. It's a good like engagement level gauge as yeah. well like, to see yeah. how many people are actually wanting to take part of your exhibit home with them yeah, and sure. back into a private space. Mm. Is that important for you to have people take a little bit of what you've created back home? Yeah, so for me in my practice, publishing has always been really important. Um, but more so in the last two years, I've been doing this thing where the, the publication has been in the, um, the exhibition and mm -hmm. it's kind of like a part of the exhibition. And it's almost like a, a sculptural element in its own right. Um, but then for me, the idea that people will see the exhibition, take a publication, then, you know, like uh, read and engage with that publication in their own time, mm. uh, and in the process actually kind of maybe reflect back on what they saw in the exhibition, um, that's really interesting to me. And the idea that maybe then they come back and look at the work differently after having engaged with the publication. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that is important. And this entire exhibit stemmed from a column in the New Zealand Herald by Fran O'Sullivan. What about that column particularly caught your eye at the time and why did you develop this whole exhibition of, around this one column that you read about? I know, it's kind of crazy. I think that um, for me, things like this column um, you know, like just appear in the world and stick out to me and for whatever reason they kind of embed themselves in my brain mm. and I kind of, I can't stop thinking about them um, because I, th I think obviously there's a potential within these moments or things that I see in the world, um, you know, there's the potential for them to be extrapolated out and, um, and act as what I kind of often refer to as like kind of like this window. Mm into um, a larger discussion. Yeah. So for me, this idea that Fran O'Sullivan writing in 2016 retells this hypothetical scenario that John Key had put forward um, in a business briefing um, that if ISIS wanted to destabilise Europe, um, they could kind of plant um, an operative amongst a group of asylum seekers in the middle of Berlin and then commit a terrorist act mm. um, that would then further destabilise Angela Merkel's kind of um, leadership in Europe, especially uh, regarding immigration and the refugee crisis. Um, but then kind of from that starting point, you know, um, or, or like the kind of upshot of that is that New Zealand looks really attractive as this place that's far away from mm. kind of um, these worries around the refugee crisis and terrorism and um, and and so, you know, potentially more uh, what Fran O'Sullivan refers to as high net worth consumers um, might want to come here. Like to me, that, that whole scenario is just, um, you know, it's just full of potential to talk about, like yeah. all kinds of different implications from, you know, like from it as a starting point. 
And yeah. this article was from 2016, is mm -hmm. that correct? Yeah. So did you feel like you had some sort of duty as an artist to address the legacy that this article ended up having? Because, of course, this is quite far in the past, if we're thinking about it relatively now, and we have a new government and new leadership. Mm -hmm. So why did you feel the need to go back to this article, um, considering we don't have that as a leader of our country anymore as well? Yeah, so again, for me... Initially, I read it, uh, that article and it kind of stuck with me. And I think there was a moment in time, maybe like within the first three to six months of that article happening, where if someone had offered me a chance to have a show, it might have been like, oh, I'll pounce on this right now okay. and do a show about it, maybe. Um, but, and then for a while, I kind of almost didn't think about it or thought that the moment had passed to talk about mm. it. Um, but then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, no, like, it's really interesting to not let things like this just kind of happen as a moment of time mm. um, in the back section of the business column of the New Zealand Herald on a Saturday morning and never get talked about again. Like, there's really, um, as I've said, kind of, like, there's multiple implications um, for these statements and the legacy of those statements in terms of how New Zealand sees itself, um, how it's been positioned um, by the likes of John Key, but how that positioning is also linked to um, a legacy of the way in which New Zealand has seen itself or um, kind of been at the whim of international trends. Mm. Um, so for instance, in a conversation I actually have with Fran O'Sullivan as part of the newspaper, yeah. um, she talks about the fact that this positioning of New Zealand in a really attractive way um, by Key was um, kind of amazing considering that only a few years earlier there was all this talk of the brain drain and New Zealand is, is kind of a place that actually people were kind of leaving in droves mm. um, because of the perceived maybe lack of opportunity here as um, you know in relation to what was happening overseas so um, yeah for me it was just interesting that you can kind of go back two years and see this moment and um, then go back further and see how that moment came to be, but then also project it forward to this very moment now, which I do in the show by putting this kind of timeline of articles that show that, well, like at the end of 2016, there was a Berlin terrorist attack by an asylum seeker. Mm. Um, and then, um, you know, with the change of government, there, there has been a tightening of rules around um, immigration and um, foreign ownership of mm. or, um, ability to buy our land um, and Angela Merkel did find it actually incredibly hard to get re-elected and is now re-elected after a, a, like a five month long series of talks yeah. um, in which she's kind of formed a government um, with you know partners that she wouldn't you know like kind of choose to form a government with so yeah, again, it's just interesting to think, OK, this is a moment in time in 2016 where this thing was said by a kind of sitting prime minister yeah. who has this really business-focused fo kind of way of seeing the world. Um, and his analysis or way of seeing things has kind of had this legacy effect and also kind of come to fruition in some ways. Yeah, so he was actually correct about some of the things that he predicted, not all. Yeah, well, some... I think... His whole thing is, yeah, to look at trends and, mm. and try and identify what he sees as being um, advantageous 
um, conditions. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that you were able to get Fran to engage with you for that newspaper. How did you go about getting that that interview and getting her... I mean, some of the questions you asked were actually really tough questions mm. and might have put her in a position where the integrity of her work might have been questioned a bit. So how did you get her to have that really honest conversation with you? Well, I just... I was. I guess I was just honest with her from the get-go. Like, okay. I, I mean, it was important for me to... I think try and engage with her um, because I'm interested in her, her point of view and I think my role as an artist is not to kind of be like here's this awful thing that happened and here's all the reasons why it's awful mm. but actually kind of say like I guess more just to wade into it and yeah. and see what comes from the process of kind of wading through this um, kind of set of scenarios and the implications of those scenarios. So to have her be part of it was important, I think. But also just to basically email her and say, hey, look, uh, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing. Um, I sent her an early kind of draft little synopsis of the show that was quite, I guess, you know, it didn't pull any punches in terms of okay. how I was wanting to kind of approach um, the subject matter. Um, and she was just more than willing to be engaged uh, in a conversation around it, um, which I, I, I kind of think is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's really awesome that she's wanting to do that. And yeah. she's actually coming down in July alongside oh, the no two way. other... Yeah, so the, the three um, uh, people that I interview for the publication mm. uh, are going to be on a panel discussion together oh, at the DPAC. So, again, like she's not only um, kind of engaged with it, in the first place, but she's kind of continued to engage with it and, and wants to kind of be part of the conversation. Mm, and could you tell us a wee bit more about those other two people that you interviewed for the publication? Yeah, sure. So um, I interviewed Richard Jackson, who's um, a professor and director of the Peace and Conflict Studies Department here at Otago University. Yeah. Um, and his area of expertise is critical terrorism studies. So we talk quite a lot about um, this idea of the co-construction of terrorist narratives by media and politicians um, and the way in which they use terrorist narratives to help, I guess, kind of put forward their own agendas. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously we've got Fran, where we, you know, I talked to her at length about the context of that article she wrote, um, her time following John Key as Prime Minister, um, and some of the broader ideas around that I, that way he was positioning New Zealand, which is something that is a position that she buys into and is kind of interested in. Yeah. And then finally, I interview uh, David Hall, who's a researcher out of AUT at the Political Observatory, and he's, um, I guess, kind of like an expert on New Zealand immigration policy. He edited a book called um, Fair Borders, which mm. talks specifically about, I guess, the context of New Zealand immigration law and policy. And we talk a lot about this idea of New Zealand's position in the world um, being so far removed from um, a situation where we have people literally turning up on our doorsteps or like kind of on our shores and boats or whatever, yeah. and the way in which that distance helps um, inform and I guess, yeah, I guess inform our immigration policies. Yeah. Yeah, and when, you know, reading this publication that you've allowed the public to take home in the middle of the exhibit, when I read it, 
I almost see the publication kind of expanded into three a three-dimensional space, which has become, you know, the exhibit in itself. What came first, the publication or the three-dimensional aspects of the exhibit? Um, that's a good question because, you know, in the past I've done shows like this and I kind of have thought of um, the exhibition or the show as being like an exploded publication. Yeah. That's what um, it looks like. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it definitely does that. But the publication actually this time came quite late in the piece. Like, um, Fran's interview in particular only got recorded and transcribed about five days out from the, oh, wow. <laughs> the opening of the exhibition. <laughs> yeah. um, and the newspaper, I'm really lucky, I work with um, Allied Press who print yep. the ODT, and they literally, you, you provide them with the files one day and the next morning it gets printed. Fantastic. So um, I was able to book that in for very, very, very late in the piece. Mm. Um, but they just happen concurrently in my mind. I'm, I'm kind of constructing the newspaper and the elements of the newspaper, I guess, like editorially all the time. Yeah. At the same time as I'm thinking about, yeah, how some of the ideas that are discussed in the newspaper are then... Um, discuss in a different way through the sculptural work and yeah. wall work that I make um, and I like the fact that within newspaper and all the content that's in that mm. it can kind of speak to the content in a certain way and it can kind of go really in depth yeah. and quite um, like not in a practical sense but art can be quite um, open to interpretation right Yeah. Um, and the newspaper it doesn't exactly give answers, it just explores all these different ideas with, with different people, mm. but it's much more practical in the way it's talking about things. Whereas um, the sculptural work, I kind of feel like for me, it gives me free reign to be more poetic with the sculptural work and, yeah. and let, let the audience draw comparisons or see connections where they want. Mm. Um, so those two things are happening concurrently, but totally informing each other at the same time. Okay. And could you tell us a little bit more about some of the motifs that you use that carry through the publication and in the exhibit itself? Um, in particular, the International Democrat Union symbol that you have on one wall in full and then one which is exploded and shattered into, you know, all these pieces. Mm. What, what was behind that? So the International Democrat Union is um, this kind of group of centre-right political parties from all around the world that get together and basically, um, I guess, trade ideas, like talk about um, trends, international trends, but also things like, you know, like what kind of messaging is actually reaching um, the electorate? What, mm. what, what kind of, um, yeah, what kind of messaging is working in terms of capturing the imagination of the public and leading to votes and yeah. all kinds of things like that. And John Key was the head of that um, union for a number of years and okay. in Fran's article she talks about Key having just come back from a meeting of this International Democrat Union um, and that conversations he had at that meeting were kind of helping to inform this idea he had about the world and, right. and, and the kind of certain trends that he was seeing. Um, so early on I mean I was really interested in this idea of John Key kind of putting out this hypothetical scenario which talked about the crossing of borders, um, the idea of one kind of people crossing borders into Europe, leading to a different kind of people crossing borders 
and coming all the way down to New Zealand mm. and this idea of who do we open our borders to. But then all of this being informed by a kind of different kind of crossing borders where like all these different political parties are meeting transnationally to kind of talk about these trends and figure things out. So it's, you know, like there's all this kind of weird cross-pollinization yeah. happening in different ways. Um, and then the logo of the International Democrats Union during Key's time as the head of it, because it's now actually changed um, mm. when he stepped down at the beginning of this year. Only at the beginning of this year? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So he was still there for, you know, like a year and a half after he stopped being Prime Minister. Do you know who took over from him um, It's the head of the Canadian... Um, centre-right party, okay. I can't remember his name, but um, from all accounts he's kind of a, just, you know, in this really similar kind of mould to Key. Um, but anyway, this logo, it's like a really simple, like super simplified kind of globe yeah. um, with the longitude and latitude kind of um, lines in it. And it's, a, it's like the kind of globe that you see everywhere. Um, it's not very... Um, it's definitely not unique. It's um, quite nondescript. But to me, it was interesting because it also talked about a certain way of maybe seeing the world. Mm. Like this quite nicely, neatly formulated globe that's kind of spliced up into pieces. Um, and so to me, I used it as this way of maybe representing a certain worldview. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's an example of me just finding a visual element in the research that I'm doing yeah. and then taking it and using it in a new way. And basically everything in the show is reusing something that already exists. Okay. Um, even all the words that are everywhere are words that I've found in my research that I've reused or changed yeah. a little bit. Some of those phrases that you've, you've really condensed down into a few words, did you find that you were doing almost the same thing as Fran O'Sullivan was doing by taking what John Key had said and having to condense it down into one idea that either, you know, if it's published in a newspaper, the public have to be able to understand quite simply. Did you find that that's what you were doing? Because some of the phrases are so simple, yet they allude to, to this huge other idea that you're trying to get at, but it's only a few words. Did mm. you see, like, the parallel there in what you were doing and what Fran had done as well? I think that um, I was interested in putting a number of these phrases uh, kind of like um, like against each other. Mm. So like 100% part of what I'm doing is trying to take these, these quite complex ideas or these words, um, like for instance, the cosmopolitan right, which um, is this kind of Kantian idea of, you know, the idea that we all have ownership of the earth, yeah. and as such, um, you know, as citizens of that earth, we need to be aware of how we engage with each other and what our responsibility is to each other. Okay. It's totally like, you know, just kind of like um, a shout out to that whole idea by just having cosmopolitan right down the side of a kind of sculptural structure. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like, in a way, for me, I really value in the way I consume culture myself. Mm -hmm. Like, I get really into finding out where these things come from and, like, you know, whether it's, like, you know, like an Easter egg in a, like, TV series or movie or mm -hmm. whether it's, like, an album I listen to and just get super into all the references. Yeah. I, I, um, I value the fact that people put time into their work 
to the point where you'd need to kind of do your own research to really understand it or mm -hmm. like to kind of go deep with it. And so for me, in a way, a lot of these things are like, oh, these are just, again, windows into way bigger discussions yeah, that yeah. you kind of would need to go away and look at if you if you wanted to. Yeah. And, I mean, that just kind of, I, I kind of get a, a thrill out of the idea that someone might want to do that. Yeah, would you encourage people to go and have a look yeah. further and start researching? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, but again, like, I mean, so the cosmopolitan right is there, and then on that same sculpture, the right to have rights is on the other side of it, and that's another idea um, that, you know, informed um, the UN Convention on Human Rights, this idea that we all have the right to have rights yeah. as human beings. But then through the middle of that piece is uh, it's just this right of refusal, um, and that is another important part of that convention, which is... I guess, written a lot into different countries' immigration policies, which is we have the right to refuse entry yeah. um, to our country. Um, and so, I don't know, this is quite a simple idea. Yeah. Of just kind of putting these different ideas that all inform each other or like kind of bump up against each other yeah. together in one space. And I guess it's quite easy for New Zealand as well to... Um, refuse immigrants and refugees because of our distance from the rest of the world. We don't have any of those physical borders that we're mm. having to deal with. Um, one of the phrases, uh, the Tasman as a moat, yeah. or sorry, something along those lines. I might not have gone that exactly correct, but um, what what in the show demonstrates these kind of hard and soft borders that we're dealing with when we're talking about immigration? Because, you know, New Zealand and its isolation from the rest of the world and from these really important political events and um, geographical travest travesties that are happening elsewhere, you know, it's kind of, it's easy for us in a relatively soft border because we can use our words and our policies to implement these borders, but in other parts of the world it is a really hard border. And you've been mm. overseas, right, to have a look at some of these as well with your past exhibit, mm -hmm. um, The Ground Swallows You. Um, so what in the exhibit that is on at the DPEG at the moment kind of demonstrates the way in which New Zealand doesn't have to put up these hard borders like other countries have to? Yeah. Um, well, I guess in a way the source material, you know, like the, um, the Fran O'Sullivan article mm. is, is talking about that. But then that, flat, you know, like next to that, source material of the newspaper scan on the wall in that first room is um, the flagpole that has the Tasman as a moat yeah. written on it, which is actually from another Fran O'Sullivan article. So it's a quote, which mm. is on another wall in another part of the exhibition. Yeah. So again, it's like all of these things where you kind of would have to read it all to kind of you know, find that out. And yeah. maybe no one ever will, but for me it's kind of important. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and then... Also in that space, uh, on the big triangular kind of glass house structure, mm. um, is written the um, paradox of diplomatic legitimacy, which again is an idea from somewhere else, from um, this philosopher called Sila Benhabib, who's um, Turkish but based in the US, and she talks about um, the paradox of democratic legitimacy as being every nation is kind of both kind of has to be legitimate within its own borders and to its own people um, to be able to then be seen as a good um, international actor or be respected on the international mm. stage. So there's that, like this constant thing of like, we have to be a good international actor, but we also have to do what's 
kind of perceived as right for our own people, and those two things are always at odds with each other. Yeah. Um, but I changed it to the diplomatic legitimacy because I was talking more specifically about Key mm -hmm. and his role as being like both the businessman and the kind of politician. Yeah. Um, and again, thinking about international trends and then selling them back to New Zealand. Mm. Um, so to me, all of that talks to hard and soft borders. Yeah. Um, and you know, like the motif of the International Democrat Union appears on all those flags, mm -hmm. uh, but it's kind of been aestheticized and broken up. Um, yeah, so I guess in all of those different ways, I'm, I'm thinking about that. Mm. Um, without ever probably saying it directly. Yeah. yeah. Is the exhibit an example of formalised space? Do you think you talk about that in the publication? Mm. Do you think you've created that by talking about it within the publication that you can take away, but also just by having that in your mind when you were creating the exhibit? Yeah, 100%, I think so. Like, um, so one thing I do is I, I guess I'm always kind of co-opting a certain visual language Mm -hmm. like by kind of using corporate logos and then using that corporate lo logo as a starting point to kind of create these flags and yeah. um, using, I guess, like the links between the way that logo is a crisscrossing of um, lines and how, like, say, like the glasshouse structures are meant to be about this idea of, um, you know, home. Yeah, did you create those structures? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're all fabricated um, from my designs and, okay. and stuff. Oh, did you design them or did you build them yourself? Oh, I don't, I don't build them myself, okay. no. Okay. Yeah, so I work with Farah's Engineering, which is a local engineering firm, okay. and they do everything. So, no, it, nothing in that whole space um, is, apart from the doves on the wall mm. that I painted directly onto the wall, everything else is designed in my computer. Those then, doves, those doves also a symbol in your previous exhibits, mm. um, as I said before, the ground swallows you, which was in, at the Blue Oyster Art Project space in 2016. Um, is that just a nice visual link, or is that symbolising something more, those doves that carry through? Yeah, it's a visual link, but it's also kind of like this shorthand for, for peace, I yeah. guess. Sure. But um, yeah, again, I mean, I guess I'm kind of, I like the idea that people might make that link and kind mm. of relate it back specifically to um, a piece of writing I did for The Ground Swallows You last year, because that project kind of had a number of iterations, Yeah. Um, where I talked about my experience in the refugee camps in Algeria and mm. this kind of dismantling of peace as I saw it or mm -hmm. peace that I'd been sold as a New Zealander, this idea that we're a peaceful country, Yeah. Um, at the same time as being involved in all this super dodgy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is like an easy thing to say and kind of sounds obvious, but I think there's a difference in terms of how you understand just how false that peace is mm. when you see it um, directly impacting you know like a group of people living in refugee camps yeah because we're dealing with the occupying force of their country to take their phosphate resources and use them to mm. you know like put on our farms and make our whole economy more prosperous so yeah like that's it's kind of like a personal thing i guess but it's also it just always relates like yeah. i feel like you could basically <laughs> use that motif whenever you want and it would always 
kind of be relevant. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of the UN as well. And the yeah. colours of the glasshouse structures yeah. within the exhibit, also that blue, is that supposed yeah, to be yeah, reminiscent yeah, of the yeah. UN too? Yeah, so that's nice that you picked that up because that <laughs> is, it's, it's literally the brand colour of the UN. So I got the like exact the, colour. Yeah, yeah, so I got the brand oh, that's awesome. booklet and got cool. yeah, the colour mixed. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. And as you said before, there's been those other iterations of the ground swallows. You have you taken that international? Is that what's happened? So what happened was I did the show at Blue Oyster, and then elements of that show went to Art Space in Auckland. Okay. Uh, and then through that process, someone at some point said to me, "I think there's like some kind of crazy arts biennale that happens in the refugee camps of really? the Western Saharan people." Um, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds really interesting." And I like looked into it, and it was like, yes, it was. And applications for it were like closing two weeks from then. So I put together an application based off the fact that I'd just done this project, uh, and then got accepted. And so later that year, I was yeah, like wow, flew to Spain, met up with a group of artists, um, you know, from all over the place that had kind of been selected for it, mm. and then flew from Madrid down to um, Algiers, which is the capital of Algeria, and then across the country down to the very, like, I don't know, what is it, like the western tip of Algeria mm -hmm. where it meets the border of Morocco and Western Sahara, um, where there's this um, refugee camp of about 160,000 Sahrawi people who have been living there for like 40 years. Wow. Um, while Morocco's been occupying their land. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went there, I did that, and then I got invited to be in a show at the Dallas in Wellington and I kind of made new work based off of my time in the camps. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also went to um, Buenos Aires in Argentina to do a show wow. that was related to it. And at the moment, parts of it are in Spain in the show over there. Still so, over there Yeah, the yeah, moment. Yeah, it's kind of taken on a bit of a life of its own. Wow. But it's, it's cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you think any part of the freedom of the migrant will be travelling overseas at any point? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> That'd be awesome yeah. to see. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's just interesting because, like, whereas the ground swallows you was like this two-year-long project that kept getting these new iterations, mm. um, and and almost if you put them all together in one space, it would be kind of around about the same size as the freedom of the migrant. Yeah. Um, this is very different because it was a chance to do something of that size in one go. Mm. Um, and it feels more self-contained. Like yeah, I think yeah. the, the ground swallows, you might have more pieces coming. Um, it might continue. There might oh. be some new instalments. But fantastic! Mm. Oh, that'll be exciting to see in the future. Mm. Um, and in terms of the actual DPEG space itself, of course, your exhibit bleeds slightly into the Wellington Media Collective's archives yeah. in the next room. Um, not neutral. How do you think that the freedom of the migrant complements that work? Well, um, I know that Lucy and Lauren, the curators at um, the DPEG, put us together for a really specific reason, which mm -hmm. is this idea that, you know, um, I guess I'm, I come from like a design background, I'm using design methodologies in, uh, in a kind of contemporary art space. Yeah. Um, but then they're, you know, like designers who have worked in a really political way. Um, you know, for for a long time, yeah, and yeah. Um, kind of had this amazing legacy, and so I think their idea was here's like kind of like a new project that's kind of dealing with political stuff through these kind of methodologies, mm. and then here's a kind of legacy project that's also kind of done there. Yeah. Um, and so it was interesting to 
look at how they might link or go together. But for me, in particular, with the WMC stuff, I'm amazed at the way it actually creates a portrait of New Zealand because mm. you have these moments like the nuclear-free de uh, debate and the um, anti-apartheid mm -hmm. movement that just, you know, as I say, kind of create this portrait of a moment of time for New Zealand, mm. the things that we cared about, the things that were worth putting on posters and marching yeah. on the street for. Um, and there's even moments in there where they've got like the posters about like New Zealand's toughest street gang or whatever, referring to the police, yeah. which feel, you know, I don't know if it's jarring, but they don't feel like the experience that we have today. You know, mm. I mean, people have all kinds of problems with the police force for different reasons, but that way of painting them and this idea of, you know, like um, the New Zealand public up against riot, riot police, you know, speaks to a, quite a different time. Mm. Um, and so for me to, to see that and understand it as like this portrait of New Zealand um, is actually very similar to what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, they, they both paint a certain, both shows paint a certain picture of New Zealand mm. um, or discuss New Zealand and its place in the world. Yeah. And do you think your roles as designers have always been inherently political? Do you mean like our role, like my role? Or like yeah, sure. Your role as a designer, has it always been? Uh... I think I've become more and more political with time. Okay. But I think that's just the thing that happens when you kind of grow up and you kind of find your political voice or mm. something. Um, it's actually quite funny because looking back, my undergrad um, fine arts, like final project was a comic book. But it was about um, all the cuts that were happening at fine arts in Christchurch mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. I didn't really realise at the time how political it was. I think I was just, again, responding to my environment. Mm. But then after that, I did my Masters in Christchurch during the earthquakes uh, and did a project called The Silver Bulletin, which was all about kind of like, I guess, dealing with the city that was suddenly, you know, in this crazy crisis and yeah. where political decision-making felt really important because it was about whether people had water or mm. not or whether or not a building was going to exist tomorrow or not. Mm. Um, and so I think for me, I kind of, like those situations of the environment directly around me kind of jump-started my political consciousness. Mm -hmm. And now I just go looking for things. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I find it very interesting to think about the role of design in the world because... Mm. For the most part, designers are very, very passively engaged in, you know, like um, consumerism and telling us what to buy and how to buy it and what to yeah. think and why to think it. Um, at the same time as having all this potential to actually make us think about things on a deeper level and, um, you know, stand up for issues that need to be talked about. So, you know, like anything, it can be used for good or bad. Um, it's yeah. great to see that in both exhibits as well, not just yours in the DPAG at the moment, because it gives that really good spread as well mm. um, through history too, because of course the Wellington Media Collective started in 1978. So you've got from that time period up until now, which you've capped off, mm. um, which is really great to see. Is there anything else that you would like the listeners to take away from your exhibit that perhaps they wouldn't take away if they just walked through it by themselves? 
Um, is there anything else that I haven't mentioned today that you would like people to think about when they go through? Um, I don't think so. I, I think the main thing is just to, um, yeah, just to engage with the publication. I, th I think that that is the main thing I've put in there. Okay. That that is kind of like, you know, I think you could walk around it and wonder what it's about or kind of see moments that you start to con connect and understand, but the publication is the thing that I think provides the context people need to get quite a lot out of the show. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, fantastic. Thank you so much. We've had a big chat about your exhibit today, but thank you for coming in and joining me. Cheers. For the DPAG Late Breakfast, Matthew Galloway. As I just said, Matthew Galloway on the DPAG Late Breakfast.